You're listening to the Misty Creek Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Misty Creek Community Church, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. Today's message is from Senior Pastor Stephen Street. You know, God is the essence of love. He really is. And He has given us, He's given us His love. And it is an imperative that we take that love and we share that love with the world that so desperately needs it, especially right now. The world needs love. I think we all can agree with that. You know, when, when Ken was praying just a moment ago, he said, you know, forgive us of our arrogance. And we read in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is not arrogant. You know, love doesn't go around, you know, go around strutting. Sometimes when we're in love, we feel like strutting. But we don't go around because we have love and we're so arrogant that we think we're better than other people because we're such good lovers. You get my drift? God is the greatest, the greatest love giver. And so when Bono was being interviewed, the question was, who was Jesus? Did you get that? He said, who was Jesus? Well, Jesus is the greatest gift of love, God's greatest gift of love. But not just was, he is God's greatest gift of love. He still is. And the way that his love is reflected today and shown today is through you. So we serve a living, active, resurrected God through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God is not dead. He's alive and is well. So we don't have to talk in past tense. Who is Jesus right now? He's the same today, tomorrow, yesterday, forevermore, right? will always be the same. So we're going to look at that theme scripture, and we gave Ken just a little small piece this morning, and he did a good job with that. But his prayer, his prayer was anointed. It really was. You could tell that. You could sense it. And I thank him for that. You know, he also said in his prayer something that, that hit me, that forgive us for our arrogance, but help us have humble hearts. And that's what we're talking about today, humility. So let's look back at 1 Corinthians 13 again. That's not going to be up there for you to see. I'm just going to read it right here from the living word of God. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, then I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give away all my possessions and I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It endures all things, bears all things, believes all things, and it hopes all things. Now, I want you to listen now. You've heard this scripture a hundred times. But this time, won't you listen from here, right now? This is Lecta Divina, divine reading. Listen from your heart. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you experience? Here it is. Love never ends. But as far as pro- prophecies, they will come to an end. As far as tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. Sometimes I still act like a child. That's not in here. (laughs) When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been known fully. And now faith, hope, and love abide These three, and the greatest of these, is love. 
This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Don't you love getting into the Word? It's something we need to do every day, don't we? Every day of our lives. Just as we get out of the bed in the morning, brush our teeth, wash our face, do that sort of thing, it needs to be a pattern in our life always. Getting into God's Word. And not rushing through it. You know, sometimes we rush through our devotion time, our prayer time, so we can check off the list and say, we got it done, I got it done, finished it up, you know. But yet it's supposed to be a time where we, we rest and we be still and we digest that word and we soak it in and we commune with God without any distractions. Not having our cell phone in front of us. Not worrying about the Keurig brewing our coffee the right way. But we're just sitting there, just us and God and his word. That's what we need. We need more of that. We're hungry for that. We're hungry and we thirst for that. You know, a group of young adults got together, and they were, they were talking about love. How do you say that you love someone? That's what they were talking about. This is a group of young adults. To answer that, one young wife had just gotten married, and she said that her husband, this is how he popped the question, while she was with a group of her girlfriends, her, her fiancé, she didn't know it at the time, but boyfriend showed up unexpectedly. He was dressed in a three-piece suit. He had these beautiful flowers and in front of everyone, all of her girlfriends, he got down on one knee, he took her hand, and he asked her to marry him. What a beautiful sight, right? Maybe all girls' dreams, I don't know. Another young lady said that her father had shown his love whenever her mother was having a particularly difficult week by waiting until she was out of the house and then cleaning it as best as he could to surprise her. How about that? One young man told of his mother writing these little notes encouraging notes on his bananas that she put in his lunch. And one related how her father had sold his prized shotgun in order to pay for her college textbooks. That's how he expressed love in different ways, right? Sure. You can say I love you in a lot of ways. In, in reality, though, love is shown by more of what we say than what we, you know, do sometimes. How do we say it? How do we say love? But then we look at love in a deeper context. Love as a verb. It is something that we do. And God proved that by sending his son Christ into this world to live amongst us and to serve and to die for us in our place. So that's, that's a love that's incomprehensible, isn't it? Inconceivable. That's the greatest of love, and that's the agape love that we talked about last week. Now, with that in mind, remember that we also learned what last week about love being kind. And this morning, we're going to look at another facet of love. Are you ready? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. What does that mean? Think about that for a second. Because that's what we're going to look at this morning. It doesn't boast, and it's not proud. Okay? And we, we learn that God often humbled people before he made them great. Before Joseph became prime minister of Egypt, he had to spend time as a slave. And he had to be cast into an Egyptian prison. Before Moses, who grew up in the palace of Pharaoh, ever became a great deliverer of the people of Israel, he had to spend years as a shepherd in the fields of Midian. A very humbling experience. Before Saul of Tarsus became the great apostle to the Gentiles and write most of the New Testament, he had to be humbled on the Damascus road by a blinding flash of light from heaven and the voice of the resurrected Lord. Paul says that humility is a very important part of love. 
very important part of our relationships. And yet humility is seen as a weakness today. Jesus is humble. Do we think Jesus is weak? In no way. It shows power. It shows that God lives within us when we are humble. But many times we are much too concerned with feeling good about ourselves and being proud of ourselves and boasting about our accomplishments. And that's the world we live in. That's the way the culture has turned. The culture has shifted to boast about your accomplishments and what you've done. Politicians, they brag about what they've done and assure you that if you vote for them again, they will accomplish even more. Advertisers say, I know this product's expensive, but you deserve the best today, so go ahead and buy it. And it's just five monthly payments of $29.95, you know? Does Nugenics really work? Anyway, four men got that in the whole group. It was like four of you, like, yeah. Yeah, if you watch ESPN or you're online at all, that's all you see, Nugenics and Frank Thomas. You get a free sample, and then it's $69.95 a month. And the same ingredients, I shouldn't say this, the same ingredients of that, I looked at my fiber tablets. It's the same ingredients in my fiber tablets. So I just, so it's in your head, guys. Be careful about what you purchase out there, okay? I probably shouldn't have said that. This is being recorded. Frank Thomas is going to call me. I'm like, what are you doing? Man, you just ruined my career. But anyway, we're just not very humble people, are we? And we're learning the lessons of humility. Learning those lessons of humility, they don't, it doesn't come easy for us. Yet if we're going to have the kind of relationship with one another that God wants us to have, then we need to understand why Paul says love does not boast and love is not proud. He says it. We need to listen. And then we need to begin to develop godly humility in our lives. So I want to talk just a moment. This is in your notes probably. Problems created by pride. Let's begin with some of the problems that are created by pride. The first problem that's created by pride or often produced by pride produces misunderstandings. That's what pride does. Have you ever met someone who knows it all? Know anybody like that? Maybe you're sitting next to one this morning. I don't know. It doesn't make any difference what the topic is. They can wax eloquent forever. And they never really listen to anybody else because they already know all the answers. They're a know-it-all. Perhaps you heard about the guy who took a first aid course and was so proud of his accomplishments in completing that first aid course. No sooner had he finished it that he came upon an accident in which a person was really injured. He rushed over to the injured person and was, that was being attended by a woman. There was a woman attending to this injured person and this guy who just completed his first aid training, he took charge. He shoved everybody aside, including the woman, and he said, give me room. I've just finished a first aid course and I know what to do. He knelt beside the person, the injured person, and he began starting to do what he thought he could do. And then the woman he had pushed away stood there for a few moments and said, when you get to the point in your first aid training where it says, call the doctor, I'll be right here. The doctor was there the whole time, yet he didn't even notice that. It was all about him and his training. Secondly, pride provokes arguments. Proverbs 13.10 says, pride breeds quarrels. You know that's true. If there's a lot of quarreling going on, a lot of argument going on in your relationships, most likely it's because there's some pride there, maybe a lot of pride. If you put two people who know it all in the same room, then you have two irresistible forces, two immovable objects who will not back down or admit that they might be wrong. And the arguments continue on and on and on. 
Romans 12, 16. Do not try to act big and do not think that you know it all. Truly provide, truly pride often provokes arguments. And thirdly, we need to listen to this. Thirdly, I think pride prevents real fellowship. Usually people who are proud will not, will not allow you to see who they really are. They, they try to conceal themselves, the real self, to say things that they think will impress you and you never really see them deep inside because they're afraid of, of their real self. They're afraid that their real self will not be accepted if they're vulnerable, if they're transparent, so they pretend to be something that they're not. And yet something that I have seen in our women's groups here at the church and in our men's groups I've seen our women and our men become vulnerable and transparent and real. And nobody judges them for it. Instead, we respect you all the more because you've been real, because you've allowed us to minister to you. Remember, I've said this to you a thousand times probably. We're all ministers. And so something we need to do, ministers in this room, is we need to be real and be vulnerable. I will be the lead repenter of this church. Do you know what that means? I will be. I'm not ashamed of it. I will be the lead repenter of this church. I've counseled couples that have been married for years and years and years, okay? And they're having problems. Sometimes one of them will say, you know, I've lived with this person for 20 years, and we love each other, but I really don't know who he or she is anymore. Sometimes... It is difficult simply because we're trying to cover up. We're trying to be what we think other people would like us to be, even our spouse. And I counsel couples, premarital counseling and couples who've been married for a long time, and say, please, communicate and be vulnerable with one another. Don't hold anything back. Tell the truth. Don't lie. Be real. Be honest with one another. I'm serious. If you're not honest... And being real in your marriage and your relationships, those relationships will most likely fail, ladies and gentlemen. 1 John 1.7 says this, If we walk in the light and he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. That's a good verse because it says, If we walk in the light. What happens if we walk in the light? Light always reveals and uncovers so if we really are walking in the light of God, I don't have to hide anything from you anymore. And you don't have to hide anything from me anymore. And we can have fellowship with each other because we're walking in the light together. But sometimes we need a black light, don't we? You know what a black light does? You ever seen those hotel reveal shows where they go into the hotels with a black light? Oh, my goodness. Don't watch it. There's some hotels that you're staying in that you will never stay in again if you watch those shows. It reveals the true colors of what's happened in that room. You can do that in your home. You know, you got pets. Oh, goodness. You got carpet. Be careful. You got that black light. You're going to be like, oh, my goodness. I laid on that carpet the other night right there on that. <gasps> We're getting this new carpet, honey. Take it up. We just put new carpet down last month. I don't care. New carpet. Bathroom needs to be redone, too. We just did that a year ago. Yes, but I don't like that green. You know what I'm talking about? Let's get back to things, though. ADD moment. Bobby, Bobby, some things never change, buddy. Still there. It's like from 180. Fourthly, I think pride postpones reconciliation. I do. It really does. If people are proud, then they aren't usually willing to back down or compromise 
or find a common ground where agreement can be found. Reconciliation simply doesn't take place because of pride, because they're not willing to be honest with one another. Cliff Barrows said there are, that there are 12 words that are absolutely essential for a good marriage. I think this is any good relationship, whether you're married or not. Single? I'd write these down. They're in your notes to fill in the blank. You've got a pen in the back of your seat. I'm serious about this. Here they are. I was wrong. If you're having a hard time saying that, then pride has consumed you. I was wrong. Have you ever done something to your, your child, said something to your child or your spouse or a coworker, and you, it was the wrong thing, but you, whatever reason, the pride, you wouldn't admit that you were wrong. You want to gain more respect and more love and more connectedness? You go to your child or your spouse or a coworker that you've wronged and you know you have, and you say, I was wrong. I responded the wrong way. I shouldn't have talked to you like that. You, you deserve better than that. You're beginning to get to the place God wants you to be when you can say, I was wrong. I am sorry. There are three overused words in society today. Sorry is one of them. Okay, for example, if you heard today, you probably did, that Bethany Jackson's father passed away. He'd been in hospice care for a while. We sent it out there through the group me. The number one thing that we probably would have said or, or have already said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's typical, isn't it? I'm sorry you went through that. I'm sorry for that loss. Nothing wrong with that, but we use that word a lot, don't we? You know, another word that we use a lot, to be honest with you, I shared this with the youth this morning at our, at our breakfast club, is excited. We use that word a lot. I was watching the, the NBA three-point contest last night and the dunk contest. Don't I wish. And uh, every other word, I'm so excited. Oh, that's an exciting dunk. I'm excited for the All-Star game tomorrow. I'm excited for the tribute to Kobe Bryant. I'm ex- I mean, excited was every other word. Excited. I guess there's nothing wrong with using that word. Now you're going to be like, I'm going to be more conscious of the words I use, excited and, and sorry. But I would say sorry is okay to overuse in this context. I am sorry. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's another one. Please forgive me. And don't just say, please forgive me and walk away. Please forgive me. Look that person in the eyes and say, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And then the greatest, the one you can sum it all up with, I love you. I love you. And if you have a spouse, if you have children, you have parents that are living, close, real close friends that are there for you, tell them every day, I love you. I love you. I genuinely love you. Those words have power because power, love, sorry, forgiveness, those words, those are biblical concepts. And love is the greatest of all of those concepts because the soteriological, like that big old word, soteriological plan of God's word from the very beginning of Genesis to Revelation is his redemption plan of salvation. That is his love for you to be reciprocated to others. Love as I have loved you. If it requires washing feet, do it. If it requires delivering a sofa to someone who doesn't have one, do it. If it requires emptying out your pantry, your, your clothes closet, do it. And give it to someone who needs it. That is love. Love is a verb that's doing love, acting out love. That's the love of Christ. Wow. Please forgive me. 
or admit that we love each other. Admit that we love each other and desire to forgive one another. Then reconciliation, it can take place. When we admit those things, reconciliation can take place. No wonder Paul said, love does not boast, it's not proud. Now here are a few steps in developing humility. Even though we may decide that we already have enough of it, I don't think it's easy for us. So here's some steps. Are you ready? First of all, acknowledge your mortality. Okay? We're told in Scripture that life is but a vapor that appears for a moment and then disappears. If you're, if you're getting my age or older, you know that's true. We're on the downhill side of life, and it didn't take long to get there. Man, really, in reality, I'm almost dead. You know, when, when it comes down to it, I don't like to look at it like that. It seems like only yesterday that we were young and all of life was ahead of us. And, you know, we were just filled with all this energy. And we realized the new genetics just isn't doing it for us. And, and then the years, did y'all hear that little promo in there? But the years have come and gone so rapidly. We've got to come to grips with our own mortality. Boy, did I come to grips with that fact last weekend, playing basketball with SJ and some of his friends. You know, for a while there, man, I had it. I was like, yeah, man, I'm draining it. Man, I still got the layup. Had the reverse down, going from one side of the backboard to the other, putting a twist on like Allen Iverson used to do it and make it. That was good. And then eventually, my body began to say, mm-mm. And I began to feel it in my back, down through here, the sciatic nerve over here, this ankle, this shoulder. I said, oh, man, really? Gosh, I've only been playing for 10 minutes. You know, and then I went out for this run. Somebody told me this great place to go run. I won't listen to them again. Uh, it was this hilly place by the river, and it was hills, and I'm running. There's these stumps and logs and stuff. I'm trying to jump, and I don't have the right shoes, you know. And I get about two miles into it, and I just felt so old. It's like, man, this is the bummer. And I'm two miles out. I got to go back, you know. So I ran back, and I struggled. I hope nobody's watching me. And they're like, guys, dying over there, you know. <laughs> you know, that's what I feel like this morning. You know, maybe that's why I'm sick. But anyway, you know, I realized my own mortality. The Bible teaches us that our bodies are made out of the dust of the ground and that one of these days, one of these days, our bodies will return to dust. It's humbling, isn't it? To realize that the bodies that you and I have pampered and cared for and admired will someday be nothing more than part of the earth again. All this stuff we're trying to do, you know, you know what I'm talking about. All this stuff. Let me go get some sculpting today. <laughs> you know, we're going to end up being dust. Wow. Remember our mortality. The first step to developing humility is to remember our own mortality. Secondly, we need to remember our own fallibility. We make mistakes. We're not infallible. We make decisions that are wrong. We say things that are just, you know what's true, stupid. We say stupid things, don't we? We do things that are embarrassing. There's a story of a guy that went to a musical, and while a soprano was singing, he turned to the man sitting next to him, and he said, that's horrible. That's really bad. The man said, that's my wife. <laughs> Quickly, the guy said, oh, her voice is fine. I wasn't talking about that. It's the material. That song, it's... She's singing, it's just terrible. It's just not the right song for her. The man said, I wrote it. <laughs> Woo! I admire the Apostle Paul because he never glosses over the fact that he once persecuted Christians. He hated them. 
Again and again, he reminds himself and us, I am the chief of sinners. I am the chief of sinners saved by the grace of God. I am the chief of sinners saved by the grace of God. I'm not hiding behind it. I'm not going to be this arrogant preacher. Hey, you know, no way. Because I'm a man and I will return to the earth as dust. But guess what? I have something greater living within me than dust, than any power that exists. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. I have a soul. And I know that without a shadow of a doubt, with all the empirical evidence in the world, that Jesus Christ has saved my soul and I will spend eternity with him in paradise. And you will too if you've made that decision. But you can have all the knowledge in the world. You can. You can know everything. But if you have not love, then you're nothing. Nothing like dust. Nothing. You know, I think it's all right to feel good about yourself. I think it's okay to consider your accomplishment. That's a good thing, okay? But every once in a while, we need to stop and remember our fallibility. It will help us develop the proper humility. And we need not to play the blame game either. They made me do it. The devil made me do it. No, you did it. You made that decision. You decided to rush through your devotions and your scripture study. You decided to skip out on corporate worship. You decided to watch all these shows on Netflix. Nothing wrong with that because I watch them too. But your life is so consumed with everything else that you've been drawn in to the world's way of doing things. And that's why you screwed up and you made that mistake. Don't blame it on God or blame it on anybody else or blame it on the devil. Blame it on your own free will. You made that choice. You made that decision. So remember that. And thirdly, remember that God is sovereign. Remember his sovereignty and that he is in charge. Those of us who've worked with alcoholics over the years, and I have, there's an excuse that alcoholics have because of their pride. You can take an alcoholic who sleeps in a flop house, who has only the clothes on his back, and is waiting for someone to give him enough money to buy his next wine bottle. And yet, the reason he doesn't seek help is because of his pride. His pride will not let him admit that he needs help. Real-life situation for you. I had an uncle. He served in Vietnam. He came back. We didn't realize how he had been affected. He became the manager of a Piggly Wiggly in Florence, South Carolina. He had a family. He was my dad's best fishing buddy, and I loved going fishing with him too. Man, we used to go in these little creeks, and we would wear them out. But he had an issue, a problem. It began with alcohol. Then he lost his job. Then he lost his family. Then he stopped asking for help. We didn't know where he was. And about 10 years ago, he died homeless in a street corner in Columbia, South Carolina. He refused because of pride to ask for help. Tears my mom apart. That's her oldest brother. Still tears me apart because I loved him so much. He had so much potential. And that happens, folks. You may know somebody like that. You want to help. You want to do all you can. And yet, they won't let you. It's that pride thing. But let me just tell you this. Don't give up on them. Pray for them. Find where they are. Locate them. Let them know that you love them, you care about them. You do the possible, the old cliche, you do the possible and trust God to do the impossible. 
Do everything that you can to express that love of God to them. It's the same way with a lot of us. You see, each of us must reach the point where we will come before God and say, God, I need help. I cannot save myself. I can't change myself. God, I need you, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm self-centered. I'm sorry I'm focused on myself. I'm sorry I don't spend enough time with my family. I'm sorry I don't do this. There's that. I'm sorry again. But admitting it and not being arrogant, admitting that you have deficiencies, that you have issues, become humble before your God and admit that he's in charge and that he is sovereign over your life, only then will you begin to experience humility. Humility before God. And then I think the fourth step to humility is to develop servanthood. Do you know what servanthood is? Matthew 20, 28. Jesus said, the son, of the son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It is hard for me to understand how people can be Christians for 10 or 15 years and still be a servee and not a server. You know what I'm talking about? You might have once have been a consumer Christian. Check off the box, Christian. But you're not that anymore. Thanks be to God. You're free from that, aren't you? You want to serve. No longer be the servee. How can we claim that we're followers of the one who put a towel around his waist and picked up a basin of water and washed his apostles' feet? How can we say we're his followers and we're still waiting to be served? How can we do that? I'm entitled to it. I deserve it. Wait on me. Give me this. It needs to be the way I ordered it. It needs to be exactly the way I want it. And that trickles over into the church. Aren't you glad that's not this church? Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. You see, the only way we can finally begin to develop the virtue of humility is becoming a servant, caring about others. Next week, I want you to come back and give you something to enjoy next week. I'm going to do, part of my sermon next week is going to focus on millennials. And I'm going to open your eyes to something you don't know about millennials. It's good stuff. I'm going to share that with you next week, okay? A few years ago, the Miami Herald reported that David McAllister, 77 and blind, he was in a nursing home. He was an invalid in North Miami Beach. He received daily visits from Chris Carrier, who was 32 years of age. Chris would read to McAllister from the Bible every single day. He would go see him and read from the Bible. Let me share this article that was in the Miami Beach Herald. Their only previous relationship occurred a few days in December 1974 when McAllister kidnapped 10-year-old Carrier at a bus stop and left him for dead in the Everglades with cigarette burns on his body, ice pick holes in one eye, and a gunshot wound that left him blind in the other eye. When Carrier was asked how he, how he possibly could stand to be around McAllister... To look at the man who had so brutally tried to murder him years ago, Carrier said, I don't see a murderer. I see a man very old, very alone, and very scared. That's servanthood at its very best. For Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. You see... 
The kind of love that Paul is talking about can make a difference. I'm serious. If you will love the way that Paul is encouraging us to love, the way Jesus loves, it will make a huge difference. It is patient. It is kind. It does not boast. It is not proud. And it can turn our world upside down. Now, what about you? What about you? Is Jesus the Lord of love, the Lord of your life too? I mean, really. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, it's time, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for us to surrender to the humble king. Jesus was humble. He was kind. He was smart. He was generous. He was one of us. And he's still that way. He's still touchable and he's tangible. And we look at each other. We might see just another person. But for me, when I look at you, I see Jesus. I do. Because he lives and he breathes and he reigns in you. And his love is here. It's wide and it's far and it's deep. And you have that ability. All those fruits that Paul talks about in his letter to the church at Galatia. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You have those gifts. Today, though, I think the gift that he wants to give you, that he wants you to take outside of those doors into the world, is humility to have a humble heart. We serve a humble king surrendered his very life. He even got down on his knee and he washed stinky, dirty feet. He put the needs of everybody else before his own needs. He set the example. He said, you go and do likewise. He said, you love one another as I have loved you. He didn't say, love when you feel like it. Love when you're in the mood. No, he said, love at all times. You know, I got up this morning, and I'll be honest with you. Karen said, you don't need to go to church today. And I, and I, I agree with her. I didn't feel like it. Honestly, I did not. I didn't really want to go. I didn't feel up to it. I mean, these guys are perfectly capable of leading us in a service. Every one of them up here, they're gifted, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they're humble about it. But then when I put my feet on the floor, God said, you don't let... A respiratory infection stop you from going and sharing my love today? What's wrong with you? Come on. Get up. And I got up, took a shower, got me this new shampoo I got from Sports Clips. It smells really good. It was on sale. It was 40% off. And I'm like, gosh, I like this, you know. Even had me a peppermint patty, and I couldn't even taste it. But it was, it was like a whisk going through my hair, you know. I was like, I'm ready, Lord. And I went. And that's the thing this morning. Will you go 
where he says, go, even when you don't feel like it. You know, Jesus, he could have come down from that cross. He could have wiped out all of his enemies. But instead, he became the humble servant, the humble king, by saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And he forgave all of humanity, even the ones that whipped him and kicked him and abused him and put a sour sponge in his mouth. He forgave them. And even the guy on the cross, the cross to his left, when he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus says simply. He didn't go through disciples, Bible study. He hadn't been the kingdom disciple or kingdom man or women rooted in Christ. No. He just said, remember me when you come into your kingdom, Jesus. And Jesus said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. You have a gift to share. Take that gift out into the world today. But you need to have that gift first. It's already there. All you have to do is acknowledge it. So would you just pray this prayer this morning? Oh God, my humble king, I admit that I have pride, maybe even pride issues. I admit that I don't always love the way I should love. I admit that I'm not always vulnerable and transparent as I should be. I admit that sometimes I'm a know-it-all. Lord, I want to be like your son Jesus, the humble king. So, Lord, fill me up with humility, a love that's not arrogant or boastful or proud, but a love that's unconditional and seeks to make a difference in the life of others. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for saving me and healing me and setting me free from all infirmities. My life is yours, my humble king. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. We hope you were inspired by today's message. For more sermons from Misty Creek Community Church, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you like to stream your podcasts. You can also watch videos of our sermons and complete services on the Misty Creek Community Church YouTube channel. And while you're there, be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. For more information about our church, including our mission, location, service times, and more, visit our website at mistycreekchurch.org. God bless you, and thank you for listening.